riding around on my 10 speed with my Walkman on, listening to that. Listening to what? Uh, Into the fire. I just remember when we went sailing in the, whatever the Virgin Islands and we had our Walkman and Animalize had just come out and it never sounded so good, you know? Yeah, man, do you remember though when you're, when the battery would get low, everything would get slow? <laughs> you know, what's interesting was that Bruce talked about how great the drums sounded on Animalize as well and I started thinking about, you know, one of the great drum tracks though, jumping uh, gears there, Rich, of, of Eric's cars, is the drum track on um, Gimme More. He does that. It, it also, that's uh, also, uh, I'm sorry, I was thinking of. Uh, Ain't a wolf on the corner. Yeah, but you know, but I would say, though, that like for drum sounds for Eric Carr, right? No, I was just talking about the really cool fills. There's these really cool fills, not just straight double bass, but there's in the changes in Gimme More and the changes in, um, in, uh, one song where we just, I was just singing, Ain't a Wolf on the Corner. Is that secretly cruel? No, no, it's any way you slice it. I was just noting that one of the drum fills, he does like a bottom. He goes, but it's just so badass. And it, th those are pretty signature. Yeah, but I, I guess what I would say though, right? There may be great fills and a lot of good stuff on Animalize, but the drum sound itself on that album- It's not as good. It does not like accentuate it. Like I would say- It buries it a bit. I would say in order that you, you know, Creatures, Creatures, Lick It Up, Asylum, then Animalize. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, Think of the drum sound on, on, um, on, uh... Well, even The Elder has better drum... The Elder has actually great oh, drum yeah, sound. Yeah, it's just true. a weird that's record, true. but, yeah, but we, I mean, we ignore I, The like, Elder. Non-makeup era, I would say, uh... Well, the King... What is it? What is the... King of the Mountain, right? Like, yeah. the drum sound on Asylum is way better, way better than, than Animalize. Sure. But, but obviously, Creatures and Lick It Up are very similar like just the bigness of the sound like, it sounds like Animalize is trying to break out of a hole that it was recorded in like wait Dave that album that's the one thing I hate about that album it's again similar to what I was saying about the hot in the shade like just how everything just has this like over processed sound yeah cause they weren't real drums they were pad drums as Bruce Animalize, said Animalize just like the guitar like even the guitars on like Heavens on Fire which are pretty basic they just have this processed sound like I don't know if they you know what's funny though Rich I'm willing to bet that it's because of the drum sound that those sound weird to us because we hear them the way we hear them like if the drums were really live uh, you know they seem kind of squashed like I, he listen it's a great mix you know what I mean you know you pop, you pop it on the radio or anything and it works period right so Heavens on Fire Yeah, I mean, I'm yeah, not... No, but I always, I always wish that, like... They're really dry. I guess I just always wish the guitars on that sounded like 
lick it up, I guess is my point. You know, like, why do they have to sound like that? But I just think that if you change the drum sound to the lick it up sound, it would sound like it. That's all I'm saying, just from, oh, you know, producing yeah, yeah. shit. It's just like the drums are so, like, squashed. I mean, they're big. Yeah, but it's almost like an af- it's just like an afterthought, I guess. I mean, I know it's all part of it, but... Also, the fills on Animal Eyes, like, you know, you know, they kind of seem like, okay, I know you have a big drum set, but they don't seem like the hottest fills to start a song with. You know, like the, the intro fill to uh, Get All You Can Take, though I love the groove. Um, by the way, though, back to that Ipswich thing, Rich. Mm-hmm. If you listen to the groove with Eric, I mean, I know they're playing things at laser, like march speed. Yeah, it's, all, it's out of control. But at least it has a pocket. Whereas with Singer, when he's flying, you know, down the the zip line, you know, 80s uh, double bass zip line. Yeah. There's not much of a pocket. No. Sorry, no. Catman. We're recording, Rich. Oh, you're kidding. No. Oh, God. No wonder you, you're on the speaker. Yeah. Well, I will have to review this. No. Sorry, I'm about half watching a football game, but... Um, is the game fucking over yet or not? No, for me, 21 seconds, and Dallas is trying to fucking get something going. Oh. Oh. <sighs> Well, what was kind of neat from the Bruce interview was that, you know, his take on Eric, too, that was like, you know, when he said Eric was there on the ground floor, you know, that was the thing that Eric, you know, troubled with was that he was never the original drummer. And yet to Bruce, he was like the drummer. No, and I never really thought about it. It's kind of cool, right? Was that when he comes in, Eric is already established. He's the drummer, you know, so... And the guy he gets to talk to the most, probably. <laughs> well, that, that too, just because of the dynamics of the band. But, but yeah, like, he is, he's the, he is also an elder statesman, but somebody, obviously, that he can relate to more than Gene and Paul because they're just... Oh, know, man, to be a Paul. fly on the wall, Rich, though, like, those combos, like, hey, you know, did, you know, hit, you could see maybe Bruce asking Eric... Or Eric, you know, offering up to Bruce, hey, you're doing great. Like, if this, you know, you know, at what point does, like, Eric must have related to Mark because Mark's coming in in a tough spot, right? And Eric can come in in a tough spot. But now, you know, at what point is the, is the ink or the cast died? At which point Eric is like, you know what, we need Bruce. You wonder what the dynamic was there, right? I mean, you're, you know, your human beings were just ordinary human beings. And if they're, you know, interacting, you know, right? At some point, conversations are going to happen, in theory. Yeah. Right? Totally. And it happened, it played out over months. We never got into that convo with Bruce about how, like, 
There's no scenario in the history of rock where a guy is in the wings and comes in mid-set. But you know what I wanted to ask him, which is really heavy, bro, and I didn't really realize it till that day, was that if Mark St. John had been in the Animal Eyes live video instead of Bruce, right? Yeah. Would it not have happened? Would that have been the death knell of Kiss? Look, were they that? They had to be really confident to do an MTV show, and they maybe that's why they were so, you know, like if it wasn't going to be recorded, they could go out and do a tour and then figure it out later, right? But if they they had an opportunity to do an MTV live show on that tour because Evans on Fire was doing well, right? Then you know, then they got to be damn right. And what I'm wondering is. We never saw Mark St. John live. I'm wondering if he really just did not fit visually either, like he was from another planet. Well, I've always thought that... We know, don't know. Whether it's true or not that they overworked him and he, he, he just kind of, you know, either had... Like the universe, like, helped him? Or I always thought that it was just like, it just didn't work out. They didn't make up the hand thing, though. That was real, Rich. But, you know, they had obviously had a lot, I mean, think about it, they had a lot of, I don't know how many shows Bruce had done before the Animalized Live thing, but, you know, they obviously had a lot of confidence in him. Well, we, right, we could, we could yeah. figure that out, but what I'm wondering is, like, if not only did he not get it, but visually on stage, he was just like, they realized, like, oh, we got a real problem. You know, and I know that there was the hand problem, right, and that was real, but it might be an offshoot of like, re I'm not, you know, I don't know how the universe works, but it just wasn't meant to be, as you said, right? Hey, but but it is a weird confluence of events. Ever, even, they've never addressed is that maybe when it came time to rehearsing for the tour, right? Mm -hmm. When they went to play the old stuff, it was like, oh, this right. isn't gonna work. Right. Right, and nobody's ever talked about that. Like, that might have just been like... Well, you know, Gene said he sounded like, you know, bees buzzing, but then the other comment was that he was like a whirling dervish on stage. So, like, maybe he would, like, spin around or something. or We just don't know how he behaved on stage. Yeah, there's really... It's all, like... It's almost like fucking, like, X-Files. Like, they've just scrubbed, like, right. any evidence of... Of any of that. But, but in other words, listen, that's that's how shrewd these MFs are. Well, this was, this was right life now. or death, and it didn't matter who was on the fucking album, because it was like, well, if we're going to have this shot on MTV, we got to make sure we got the right guy. And they did. They got it right. I mean, the thing is, you know, um, they definitely got it right. And... Uh, yeah, I wonder if Bruce was like... I never really thought about it. Right, we never have. That's why these conversations are so great. So you wonder, was Bruce in on those dynamics that something important was coming and they really had to make a decision? I mean, how weird is it? I'm just saying, I, you know, I'm a musician, you're a musician, but not on that level. But how weird is it to know that I mean, it's one thing at a, like an, a, a performance like, you know, round robin of stars that people will come and leave the stage. But to be in the band on the record, but only out there for a little bit, 
and then someone else comes out. To be in the audience there must have been confusing. I wonder if they said anything. I mean, that is, they must have done that in like, I mean, no offense, Biloxi? <laughs> I don't know. Where did they do that? They couldn't have done that in a major city, like Philadelphia or something. Right, because, you know, you gotta think about it. We gotta do our goddamn homework. Unless they announce it, right, which they should have, uh, the only only the first, like... No, they didn't announce it. 10, 20 rows are gonna even notice. Right, that's what they say, yeah. They had Bruce in the same fucking getup, right? Oh, I don't know. Hold on. Mark St. John, Animal Eyes. We got to do this, right? Go ahead and continue to... Uh, uh, yeah, by the way, there were a lot of... There were after the other morning after I listened to the uh, podcast. There were just so many things that came into my mind. Like, Oh, my God, I know, but I didn't have a time to... There was a million things I wanted to ask him. Before and you know, it's like holy shit, you know, like. I yeah, it was over it, before it began. There were a lot of ideas that I, I wish, you know, like. Yeah, but even uh, Rich, there were things I wanted to ask him, like when he was talking about Ron Nevison. Yeah. I, I wanted to say, do you think Ron was just being a dick to you because he was kind of blowing off steam because he wasn't able to be a dick to Paul? And Paul was there, so he just showed him how annoyed he was. Like, given the, like, he didn't give me the answer to any of the questions I asked, specifically. Well, you know that he couldn't <laughs> say what his frame of mind was. But I wanted to know what the difference in the vibe of the band was at that time. And we just didn't have time for that. He instead talked about Nevison. And he, you know what I mean? He just basically, he's really gracious and professional. He doesn't, like, just go down a rabbit hole because you tried to push him there. You know what I mean? He's he, he he makes sure he says the right thing about these cats. He doesn't go, oh yeah, well you know it was a weird scene with Nevison and all that. He's not gonna say that. No, and I, I wouldn't expect him to be that way. But it made me think, though, after everything that I thought, well, you know, maybe uh, maybe we can hit him up for a part two. You know? Oh, Bruce. At some, at some point, you know. Well, you know what would be cool is if uh, part two was you. God. Yeah, but you would do much better on your own. Because you, once you're talking to Bruce, you put a Bruce, a picture of Bruce on your screen, smiling, and, and I picture him like, you know, from the um, that one video where you know the the retrospective uh, close up, and he's all smiling, and you know he's just like kind of telling his story. He's just a nice dude. Then once you realize you're talking to him. You know, it was easier doing it on my own, as it turned out. But yeah, I know he'd be open to that. Uh, let, I mean, I don't know, but uh, we can push that back and have you do it. Because if you, because I really enjoyed doing these, and you know, I've been got that fucking interview blog I've been doing for ten years, and Bruce was the first guy to do the interview on it, Chicago and Beyond. So I love doing this shit, and I, it was a load off my mind that you weren't there because I wasn't nervous about you being nervous and I wasn't nervous about whether we were going to come off unprofessional because we never it's hard to do a tag team when you don't have a visual ask anybody to that dumb uh, but you know what I mean so if you want to do an interview that would be really cool well like we talked about like when I was thinking about you doing the interview on your own I was thinking I started thinking well yeah you know you're sitting there you're listening to his responses, yet you're also thinking about 
what's your next question, but also you're also thinking about like, what I'm gonna ask him based on that question anyways, and then does it negate the next question I'm gonna ask? And, and then imagine that like twofold, like with two people asking, it, it's just. Wow, two dicks, yeah. Two dicks, wow. It made it. It made it easier. I don't know what we did wrong, um, but I, obviously oh. there's 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 solutions to our problems. <laughs> what is that from? Well, the other no, the the solution to doing the the, 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 the three way is to doing like literally doing a Zoom, and then just decide and just doing you know just doing the audio. Yeah, because I think you have the choice to do audio versus video. I think. Yeah, probably. I think you can do that, but how, but you, then you would, again, you would have to ask his permission and record it, like, with your iPhone. But yes, you can, I think you, well, even if you, even if we didn't, even if we... It well, it would take cool, very scant, re, it would sk take scant research to figure it out, but I like the idea that... No, but we could do the Zoom, right, with him, like, actually, and actually do an actual Zoom, just like we've done with the visual, but you would just be recording the audio, not the visual. Yeah, you know, but, could do I that mean, it too. seems like an extra, but, yeah, yeah, I don't know, I just, yeah. I like the idea that it's so lo-fi that we can, like, not, we don't have to compete. I do know this. You asked I what I was doing. Do you asked. You, you, I don't want to put that up on YouTube. I know. You you asked what I was doing during the what well, was all the noises. I had a pad of paper and a pen, and I was scribbling, and I was clicking the pen. So I won't do that in the future. It's insane. I yeah, sound. I, it sounds like there's a lunatic there, like taking notes on like a like in you know, a deposition. Like for like, did you get all that? Uh, the recorder has it all. We're ready to move to the next. I mean, it just sounds ridiculous. And I, and I, if I turned up the music much louder, it would be too loud. What did you think of the of the drop-ins? Um, you know, obviously there's a lot I could have done, and it wasn't all synced up. You know, I do stuff in a fucking hurry, but it's. I thought it was pretty fun. No, it's fun. I mean, I, I think if I'd have to go back and listen to it a second time to really, if I wanted a nitpick, I mean, but I, I really think though that um, it worked. I mean, there might've been like, there might've been a couple of times where I felt like, you know, you would, you, you know, it would be like, uh, there'd be a little bit of interview and then maybe too much music all these drop-ins you know what happens is rich I'm, I'm running the tune behind it and then i get to a funny moment and i just think oh yeah that's a weird spot to drop in music but it's it's goofy so that's what i was thinking hey listen i'm going to try something here we're, we're going mobile you know and when i want to go home so I'm, i've got the two phones picked up i'm walking with them right mm -hmm. <laughs> it would have been funny to put up the whole thing before Bruce called me after I screwed up the first call. Because, you know, at one point I'm like, call me Bruce, come on brother, come on brother, call me. But at one point I'm like, I'm a fucking moron, I screwed it up, this is stupid. You know, there's a whole, there's a whole 
ridiculous. No, I heard it, and uh, I mean, it's, I mean, it would have been funny, but I'm, it's just probably best, you know. For the better, no. Yeah, no, it, nobody. There's enough funny moments and a lot, of, a lot, enough stuff that you say just within the course of the interview that makes it funny that you don't need to add any more. Well, since yeah. Rich, just to put some cogency around our call here. Just for fun, I'm gonna pull a random topic on you, and I'm gonna ask for your impressions of, you know, take me back to Animalize, you know, when you got it, how old you were, where you got it, what you thought. Just take a little, you know, take us back, would you? <laughs> it was, um, you know, I was a very impressionable. It was a hot day, she wore lingerie. And nothing in between. Yeah, I mean, it was. Um, I'm kind of pink. Is that the right line? No, that's the wrong record. But he is. He knows. Just to cut him pink, I wouldn't tell you if she told you. But anyway, I, I'm gonna give you the floor. I'm sorry. No, great album. No, great album. I mean, it, it's um, at that time. That was like. Um, I mean, kids were like crawling their way back into. <laughs> into, uh, you know, into relevance at that point. And um, I mean, I guess what I could say about it that, that yeah, I'm, sh I'm not sure how many other people experience this, but, you know, uh, literally like a year before that album came out, you know, I was embarrassed to be a Kiss fan. Yeah, you come to the fucking Lick It Up show. I was fucking furious. Exactly. No, and that's because I was in, what, sixth grade or something, you know, and we just moved and, you know, nobody, like, nobody that lived where we lived was a Kiss fan. But literally, after Heaven's on Fire, I mean, not to say that Lick It Up wasn't a big album, but it wasn't until, like, it wasn't just that Animalize was that big of an album, like, because of Heaven's on Fire. It was just that by that point, by 84, heavy metal because of like Def Leppard and a few other bands, right? Because of Photograph and stuff. All of a sudden now, you know, out of nowhere, um, heavy metal became like, okay. It became acceptable for everybody. And all of a sudden now, I mean, went from being embarrassed to like now, people in my school are, we are literally wearing Kiss shirts, which... <laughs> Had wasn't even a. I never even thought there would be a possibility a it year before that, and it was just it was just crazy. And it wasn't like oh, and then all of a sudden I was like, now it's okay. It was just, and I don't remember the thought process. I just remember being like, well, to be great, it's gravy. And um, but that album, though, I mean, I can remember riding around, you know, my ten speed, listening to listen to that album in my headphones and. You know, you got a lot of uh, a lot of energy, a lot of testosterone, and it was perfect for that because they had a lot of. They were trying to compete with like you know the kind of high speed like you know uh, metal and stuff like Iron Maiden and stuff. But and also it, Paul's Paul's vocals on that record, like he doesn't go to you know serious like uh, you know on Crazy Nights where he would literally go an octave even higher. He, he was high on all of these, and they sounded really great. It had a plant-like thing to it. It was like primal modern metal done by a classic band. And, and again, we have the single, just like Lick It Up, uh, being a Paul song and having no guitar solo. 
Yeah, I mean, just, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's amazing that they, you know, I've always said to you, like... They picked up the shredder. These fucking, like, gunslinger guys that are just, like, you know, like, play, like, the fucking, you know, Mach 3, Mach 5, or whatever. Yeah, what Mach does he play at? Oh, he's right. three and, and up. From, yeah, well, from, send him from over. From creatures on, right? And, uh, but yet, like, lick it up and... And uh, Heaven's on Fire, no guitar solos. And they were huge hits. So it's like, wait, which, how did that work? You know, how could they have been so determined to get the hottest, fastest guitar player? But then yet... You know what, what it was, Rich? It was this. Hold on. Rich. Rich. Yeah. I have the answer. Yeah, what? We, we've talked about this probably a thousand times. I just came to me. They did not want to draw attention to the fact there was somebody else in the band that wasn't Ace Fraley, even though we didn't know what Ace looked like. The reaction to Vinny was like, is that a girl? That was the reaction to Vinny. It wasn't totally positive, okay? Though the right, guitar playing was great, right? Pink guitar, he could have like said, hey, no pink guitar, for God's sake. Then he pissed off the fans on the, well, before that on the Creatures Tour by playing too much and, and they were expecting Ace. So then, then you've got Bruce Kulick. You know, after the video for Evans on Fire. I, I guess what I'm saying is, they wanted to keep control of the band, and in the case with Vinny, if he'd had some incredible solo on this song, right? That would be, that would be a problem for them, potentially. Right, okay, so I'm just saying hypothetically. And then, and then in the case of Mark St. John, it's like, what if he just did, I just wonder if they even went ahead and did versions with solos, or if it was just, you know, what, where was, it was Paul who was in charge, and what was it's, if it's his tune, right? So he's thinking that's pretty old school, right? When you've got this wank, the wankabus going about. Well, you're, no, you're right, but it but it begs the question, like, well, then why, for everything else, did they even need a wanker? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, what? Why did they? You know, right, I, like I, White I, Lion I, and all that, you know, the solo in all the in all those songs, whether it's Britney Fox or whatever the fuck it is from that spot, there is the wank solo. There has to be. Now, granted, you know, you look at Kiss did the first power ballad, let's just blow our rock Kiss Dorian horns, with Beth, and there's no guitars on that, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Right, not a, not a shred. So, um... I don't know. It, we we no. Has anybody ever asked Paul like, why did you decide no solo? Did you try a solo? Did you just know it was so good that it needed to be two minutes and thirty seconds, or three minutes and fifteen seconds, or whatever it is, and that a solo was completely unnecessary? I mean, there's not even any lead embellishments in either song. In "Lick It Up," there's the chicka chicka junk gun, but that's oh, it. There's a of a solo you know it's different than the rest of the it's song. a chord it's same, a chord it's a chordal solo right in heaven's on fire they've got this little section that's kind of different than the rest of the song but i think I, my I point was paul paul could have played solos on either of them and then had him fucking learn it right 
yeah, just really. And then have him play it visually. I mean, you know, when it comes down to how important it was, I'm just, I just find it interesting that a solo was not necessary in either song to make them hits. Well, they, they, I mean, as we now know it, those songs are definitely strong enough that they don't need them. Um, but, you know, it, it even goes back to, um, I would say even goes back to like I Love It Loud. That is, that's the anti-solo. That's on, you know, again, a very, very, very heavy album. And that really, that doesn't have a solo on it. Rich, I just thought of something that's really weird, you know, Kiss Brain. So it's going, lick it up, lick it up. Oh, I see you cry. Wow, down now. It, it goes straight into the solo. You know, they could have changed keys and done an atmospheric 80s solo there, but maybe... I'm just so glad that they didn't. I, okay, I know. I know. I, sorry, I'm hung up on this. No, no, no. I know what you're... I, believe me, I've, we've talked about this uh, countless times because it's just... It's mind-numbing. Yes. And uh, it's, I guess my thing with it is it's like... Are there any other Kiss singles that don't have guitar solos on them? Hard luck woman has don't know, don't know, you know. There might be, right? I, I uh, no, my, uh, you know, like you said, I love it loud. It, it, it's so, so important. It's it's twofold. One of the things is that it, it illustrates just how good those songs are that they don't need them, but it also begs the question, like, why did you go out and get these guys that could blaze like that and then not use them? Like, why did you think... Because I think they didn't want to draw attention to the fact that there was a fucking, like, Charlie Chan, like, uh, you know, like a fucking chocolate factory of, of rock guitarists okay. rolling I mean, out. I guess it's okay for the filler? Well, know. so, like, you know, I bet, like, when they, they realized what they had with the bridge, and then they have this... I mean, I never liked the, yeah, yeah, back and forth, back and forth, uh, for too long on the end of Lick It Up, like... The song could have had something else happen before it got to that, maybe slightly, because that fade is longer than... I, I mean, I, I don't know what to compare it to, but it, I mean, look, it's... I'd give a, look, I would give them, like, a lot of credit if they were smart enough to go, this is so good, we don't want to have a wanky solo like everyone else. If you just went in the you know, in the solo section, and look it up. You know they could have dropped in, you know Bob Kulik. They had to, right? I mean, you know, kind of like uh, Legend Tonight or something between the riffs. 
they could have, you know, that whole back and forth kind of thing between yeah, rhythm or, and lead. Like that would have that would have worked. Or like you said a few minutes ago, like that, you know, Paul, he had a very melodic, you know, solo style, and he would keep it very sparse, but he would sure. like add a nice little kind of. You know, like a melodic part to it, and, and and I'm pretty sure that he's the one that came up with that part that they did end up using. But I think um, it could have been maybe more significant and still been like really cool. You know, maybe it was yeah. as simple as like, you know, Mark wasn't around that night, and he was like, you know what, I just want to do the bridge, and like Mark never played on the fucking thing. And he was like, wow, you know, that's a, and the producer was like, you know, people in the studio coming about were like, that's a fucking hit, dude. Like, don't touch it. No, seriously, don't put a solo on that. You know, we just don't know. perfection he just won't touch it you know that's why like he usually brings in a demo and that's how the song sounds ultimately right he's worked it out so much it's not like hey what do you guys think what should we do with this it's like here's how the song goes because he's really into you know creating his thing and doing it and, and completing it i respect that i think yeah no i i totally get it because like what else, you know, because the thing is, as an artist, like, what, I mean, I know it's a band, not just one guy, but I get it, like, you have a vision for how it should sound, and, uh, when and how tough is it to come up with five songs, five songs in a year, you know, or whatever, or ten songs in a year, you know, if, you're, if this is what you want to do, you know, so, and you don't want somebody to fuck up the song, and you've got a full vision of it. That was probably a relief to everybody, as opposed to, well, I've got this riff, and i got this verse, but I'm not sure about that, and whatever, and it's like, here's how the song goes. That's what people want. That's what everybody wants. Which is when a band actually creates something from the ground up together. And that can be cool too. I mean, I don't, the thing is, I don't know how often that happens. You know, it probably happened more often early on in Kiss. Right. Uh, just like with the Beatles, you know, like. Uh, well, if you're with Bob Ezrin and he's like, give me a riff, that's different than, you know, going in with these producers and like, here's our songs. You know, in the case of Ezrin, he went through tons of riffs they had and, and mixed and matched them. That's true. Let's take the best of this. Right? Of you know, like, you know, Mad Dog was, um, you know, the riff from Mad Dog, 
became Sweet Pain, right? I, if I have that right. I think you're right. If it ain't that, it's another one. So he like took their, what have you got? And let's put this together and let's do that. Well, and he took, um, I'm assuming, I mean, I know that like Acrobat was recorded like a long time before that, but somehow he heard, he, you know, they provide, they provided that for him and he, that's how we got Teacher Rock City. So, you know. Rich. That was sitting around for a long time. Yeah. Right, which is insane to think that parts of that were sitting around for that long. Yeah, but he didn't come back and bring it into a song until then. I was just gonna say that song is so strong and God of Thunder and other stuff. Even the the demo versions that Paul did, right? Obviously, you know the soloing on it's pretty wankable, and some of the drums and it's not as good as Destroyer. But what if the band was not happening and at that point Paul made a power play and said, "Listen, you know I'm the rock star in the band. Gene's ridiculous." Peter can't play and Ace is a drunk. I've got these songs. Now's the time. Because Kiss isn't happening. We've done three records or whatever. Now it's time to do the Paul Stanley record. <laughs> right? Oh, God. I mean, you know what I mean? It's really crazy, but. <sighs> I suppose that, yeah, that could have happened. That could happen. Like, you know, it's like, well, they sold a few records, but a live one had already happened, so. We can't say that now. Kiss was viable, but let's say they went in with Ezra before a live one for the fourth record. Because he had met Ezra, uh, they met him in Toronto on the Dress to Kill tour, and he said to Paul, "Are you happy with the, your records?" He's like, "If you're not, call me." And then you know they were thinking of calling him, and then they came up with this stopgap solution of doing the live record, and then they got with Ezra. So what if Ezra had come in then and said? pulled Paul aside, you know, at, a, at a, like a Chinese deli in Midtown and said, listen, I only want to work with you. Yes, I, I, I know, it's, it's hard to say now, but I... I Obviously, I, it didn't happen. I just can't imagine, though, that at that time, anybody, not just Bob Ezra, but I just don't... I think maybe I Gene was Paul such a force. Gene, but I just don't know. I think it, Rich, I'm being silly because Gene was such a force that, and the two of them were joined at the hip. Right. I don't think anybody got to talk to Paul alone.
I think Paul and Gene, for that matter, and maybe Paul more so, as time went on, maybe became a better, not necessarily a better songwriter, but a better like producer, you know, because they were just more focused on creating music and being creative. Well, it's pretty clear if you think about Destroyer, that the guy who came in with the material that mattered was Paul. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we never talk about that, right? Like Paul disparages Gene in the 80s, and yet when I look at some of the 80s, records, even Animal Eyes or whatever, I'm cool with Gene shit. You know, except for like, you know. But think, think about what he came into that record with, Rich. He came out with God of Thunder, which he didn't write. Great Expectations, which is pretty left field. Sweet Pain, which is certainly a uh, an acquired taste, right? I kind of like it. I, I know, I know. And what is I the other? On it, that's for sure. What is the other? Is there anything else? On that album? By Gene. Uh, 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 I'm having a moment here. Not really, I mean... I don't mind the Kistorian people realizing that we're human. I'm going to go kiss, wiki, <laughs> destroy yeah, yeah, but hey, I would say... Track listing. Uh, but listen, you got Flaming Youth, Shout It Out Loud, Detroit Rock City, blah, blah, blah. Hold on. King of the Nighttime World. Yeah, Gene did shit on that record, Rich. Holy shit. This is a discussion that, you know, that needed to happen. Yeah, but Gene, but I would say from 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 that point on... Rich, he did, he, did, he did great expectations. He may, not, he may not have written the greatest songs, but he Rich. had a lot of great... He came up with a lot of great riffs. I know. Hold on. So, on this record, you've got nine songs, and the tenth song is Rock and Roll Party, which is that... Oh, that's not even... That's a not a song, right? So, out of the nine songs, Paul does Do You Love Me, Shout It Out Loud, Flaming Youth, he wrote God of Thunder, King of the Nighttime World, and DJ Rock City. That's six. You got Beth is seven. You got... In other words, Bob decided Gene's voice wasn't relevant. And it took Gene doing a ridiculous song like Great Expectations that made him sound like he could sing as a left turn that worked. And then because Gene had no songs, he took one of Paul's songs and made it Gene's, you know, raison d'etre. Well, well, what I'm saying is, bro. Have any songs. It was because that the title and the whole thing. Made I know, but hold on. We've okay. never discussed the fact that Gene is light in the loafers on Destroyer. Yeah. Have we ever? I I've never even realized it. No, it's pretty it's it's pretty clear now, obviously. It's a Paul Stanley record. With a couple nods. Because Gene has two. That is because of God of Thunder, really. Yeah, he's got. He's Gene's got three songs on him, and the best one was written by Paul, and Bob gave it to him. But wait, how much? But do we know for a fact how much of? Because uh, if you think of Acrobat and stuff, how much of Detroit Rock City maybe can be attributed to Gene? No, no, no. I just think the opening riff, and I don't know if Gene wrote the riff or Paul wrote the riff. The da 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 I don't know who wrote the riff. I, I know Gene know says that. that Paul stole it for Detroit Rock City, but um, 
Detroit Rock City says Paul Stanley, Bob Ezrin. King of the Nighttime World says Kim Fowley, Paul Stanley, Ezrin, Mark Anthony. God, God of Thunder, Paul Stanley. Great Expectations, Simmons, Ezrin. Flaming Youth, Ace Fraley, Stanley, Simmons, Ezrin. What about Sweet. Shout It Out Loud? Shout It Out Loud, Stanley, Simmons, Ezrin. So maybe um, they wrote that like they did Rock and Roll All Night. Right, no, that, no, Shout It Out Loud always, especially because they share vocals on it, I always mm-hmm. assumed that it was a, you know, kind of a, you know, the two of them, so. It's just funny that, you know, we always talk about like song count, like as relates to Ace, as he gained pre, you know, gained, you know, credibility with the fans and with the record industry and started getting more songs on records. You know, and the first record, well, the first record only has one Ace song on it, right? Cold Jim. But he didn't sing it, so nobody knew, really, at the time. Right, but when you break down all Kiss music, like Parasite and... I mean, Cold Gin is such a simple riff, and it's just so well-delivered that it's it's timeless, right? And it's so simple, you're like, what the fuck? Like, think about that riff, the fact that somebody like Eddie Van Halen There's so there's so many chords and everything can sound the same and it's just and it doesn't matter who kicks the song off they can't kick it off like Ace you know it's like the guy who played the song if you're in the room with him and you you know you've learned it perfectly let's say <clears throat> but when the dude plays it to you <laughs> no. like you know that whole thing with uh, with Edge and Jimmy Page and uh, when when he's in the room with them and he he launches into a whole lot of love, you know, when they're in the room with him with just the guitar. Yeah. That's the guy, that's how it's played, you know? Yeah, the look on their faces is just... <laughs> I mean, but, you know, I would say the same thing for when The Edge plays I Will Follow. Like, nobody's going to play it like he plays it. And I would even say, you know, watching, you know, you know, the Paul YouTube stuff from, you know, from COVID. Oh, yeah. He started doing COVID that. COVID Paul. Not that I didn't know that already, but... It's just nice to hear it isolated. Playing those riffs by himself, and it's like, wow. You know, well, Rich, well, this is the great closure. Go back to the show I just sent you, the Ipswich show, because the two guitars are panned, and Paul is as loud as Bruce. And so a couple times when he stops, there's like a quick feed, like, you know, and it's just really nice. And he's, they are, you know, they've got a monster behind them. You know, it, you know that's what Bruce was getting at. It's like, Eric Carr turned it into a whole different can of worms at the right time. Yeah, and, 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 and the funny thing is that, um, you know, even though Ace obviously is, you know, 
the better guitar player. I mean, and he, and a lot of times in the in the 70s, obviously he was louder. Like when you'd hear him come in, it was louder than Paul. But Paul is, you know, Paul is more. He is the rhythm player than more than Ace is. He's he's he is. Um, you know what I mean? They just. Yeah, I, I, I get started to say, it's just... No, he has like, a majestic, sort of big... Yeah, there's like... He well, like I mean, forces the beat behind him. His ace didn't have to hold it down like Paul did, because he was the lead guitar player. But yeah, like, even when he came in with chords before solo, he was louder than Paul, which doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, not that he couldn't play guitar well, you know, rhythmly, but Paul was the one really holding it down. You know, and that's, there's no doubt about it. And, but that wasn't Ace's responsibility. Well, that's why I like the interplay of the early records, whereas the later records, everything's pushed. And, and you know, from the beginning of a phrase, both guitars are hitting notes as opposed to, you yeah, know, I guess Paul would center his guitar live, and play, you know, live and on well, Paul would play continuous and Ace would do the John, John. I just remember that first time, you know that night that Ace blew our fucking eardrums out at the Teddy Bear? And I remember when they went into Strutter as one of the um, encores, and uh, and Richie Scarlet came to the front mic, and, um, and Ace was standing back behind the bass player on the left, and he went back into kiss mode doing the, like, the just back and forth move that you would do. Yeah. And all he would play, and he would just go, chunk, 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 and then, and then keep moving, dun, 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 chunk, chunk, chunk. And I was like, oh, that's how it's played. You know what I mean? Instead of, instead of both guitarists jamming through it the whole time, he was just playing the part that he actually played when he was with Kiss. Right, and, and he was probably a lot louder than Richie, so you really heard it. He was and not uh, that, he was never that much louder than Richie, that was the thing, it was like they were too close to their amps. Remember there was just way too much feedback, and I don't know if it's because they were buzzed and they didn't dial it all in, and you know, they're gonna be loud and everything, but the sound at that show in LaPorte, Indiana, I remember being just really warm and like, and now seeing Ace for the first time, really. Was that our first time seeing Ace? It might have been Laporte, but right. no, sorry, the, the show I'm thinking of. Is no, but you know, when, when we were like second row in La, at Laporte. Yeah, that might and, have been. And it was yeah, a small was stage, him, like, and there was like smoke everywhere, and he was no, right there no, in no, front no, of, sorry, the sorry. sound was, the, the sound was. we saw Ace, um, like solo, well, the first time we saw Ace, period, actually, was at the Aragon, which would have been in the, uh, no, 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 no. No, you're... I'm right. <laughs> Laporte, Indiana is before that. I don't know about that, but... You want to bet? I, I just... My, my recollection is the first show, the first A show I saw was the Live Plus One show at the Aragon. And then everything else was after that. That's okay, so, so let's just talk about that for a second, right? So here's here's the here's the ticket right for the show. So Laporte, Indiana was June thirtieth, eighty seven. Okay. Okay. Can you just write that down, or get it? Because <laughs> I'm not gonna. Know. So, okay. So, hold on. So I'm now I'm gonna do the other one. Live plus one. Um. 
Ace Frehley, Aragon, show date. So it was June 30th, 87. And this was, you're right. No, I'm right. That was February 2nd. Oh no, that's the album release date. Sorry. No, they, they, I just remembered the, the Aragon show that was recorded for Live Plus One was in like September or October of whatever year that was. Um, God, I feel so stupid. Whether it was 86 or 87, I don't know. I feel remember. so stupid when you can't just like harness the web, you know, like. I mean, I have all these tickets, but not at my disposal right now. That's um, all right. Uh, Live Plus One, Aragon, Ballroom. Let's just put that in and see what the date is. So when was the other one? June 30th? That's what you said. June 30th of? 87. And this was September 4th of 87. So I'm right. It's possible that the Live Plus One was 80, the fall of 86. And that's why it... No, it was, re it was recorded live September 4th, 1987. Wow. Okay. So, so, right. yeah, they were warming up, um, and they played Laporte, but I'm just saying the sound in that yeah. case was the warmest sound I've ever heard for like a like a Kiss related or Ace Frehley related show. You know, obviously the sound for the Paul Stanley show was great. I thought, you know, in House of Blues. Oh yeah. Right? That was pretty warm. It wasn't No, like... it was great. I mean, and, and, and I would say that of the, the Ace shows at uh, House of Blues, too, you know? Right, and then, of course, uh, the uh, Blaze Fest. The best we ever heard Kiss sound. Yes, no doubt about it. No doubt well, about I mean, it. I don't know. I'm not saying that they were the best band, but it was just so much... Uh, soulful and warm versus like them playing to an arena and really pushing out the guitars like where it's just like a fucking monster generator. Well, I think... You I can think literally hear the amps, you know? Yeah, with a lot of the shows that, that I saw, at least I felt like, especially in the reunion type era, that, uh, you know, the guitars just buried the drums. It was just a big... And I love guitars, don't get me wrong, but you know, it was just like too much. Big giant wall of And then when we saw, you know, early like the asylum, you know, or Crazy Nights, like the drums were too loud and there wasn't much low end. Yeah, yeah. Like when Eric really Carr first hit the drums, we were like, fuck, those are loud. But you gotta remember <laughs> like the difference between seeing them, right, at you know a UIC pavilion versus like a a small venue, you know, like a civic a civic center, right? You're gonna have a much. It's just gonna be a very different experience. The sound was really good in Milwaukee, right? But that was the quietest, quietest Kiss show I've ever heard. The Milwaukee show were very similar. It's a it's a much larger venue, like a basketball stadium, versus. You know, like LaPorte, Indiana and Hammond, Indiana, those are like, you're playing almost like, you're playing a 5,000, you know, seat arena versus like a 20,000 seat arena. Were you at the Avalon? 
Yeah, I was there too, Phrase. Well, um, would you give me your recollection of that? Because I have many thoughts on it, but I know it was in the middle of winter, and we waited an hour and a half for him to come out, and it was like the deck of a tramp steamer. Well, is it? That's the sm- I think that other than uh, probably other than Cubby Bear, it's probably the smallest place I ever saw him in. Uh, but the Cubby Bear, I remember more more because I literally think that I have brain damage from the show. Yeah, it's possible. See, literally, I walked out of that show. I remember we walked out of that show and I was walking on, uh, what is it? Yeah, we're literally right out in front of Wrigley Field. And I really thought, like, something had something happened. Something horrible had happened. Like, I'm never going to be the same after this. And I think that might actually be true. And we're talking about, we're talking about like, uh, you know, like, my hearing. We're talking about everything. Because literally, they were playing, they were playing like they were playing for 100 or 2,000, or 2,000 people, and they were playing in a fucking bar. Like, who were they, what were they trying to achieve? I remember thinking yeah. the windows were gonna blow out, Rick. No, I was gonna say when were the? Yeah, I remember looking like when are the? When is the? When are the? the is the glass gonna just break? <laughs> Rich, but I have a moment there when we finally got to the front, right? And Why? something there was a there was a sound like a sound that you know pierced our brains, and we both looked at each other and covered our ears. And had our mouths wide open, like, oh my god, like, did, did you hear that? And we both covered our ears. Do you, do you remember that moment where. Yeah, I think that was the moment. That do you remember happened. seeing Ace? You know how he would leave stage right, so to our left as we're facing him. And, like, you know, whether if somebody was jamming or something else going on, there was like a little, like, cubby hole there with a couple, like, black sheets that went down, but. They weren't perfectly like perforated, and I could swear I saw Ace do a bump through that little window. Did you? That's definitely possible. Do you remember you seeing know, any uh, of that? By the way, the funny thing is that this I, is '95. Now to clarify, this is the Just for Fun tour. Yeah, that's right. '94, '95. Like that, that show because of where it was obviously always makes me think of. Uh, I get that memory confused, like kind of inner, like morphed with when we saw the Spin Doctors there and we went on their tour bus, which was in the parking lot right across from uh, Wrigley Field. You remember that? I mean, to a, to a degree, I, I remember being at the Metro and my girlfriend like running off with the lead singer. That's my only recollection. Well, I only found out later, but I had a feeling. We saw the Spin Doctors, right? Which would have been maybe a few years before that. Or right around the same time, probably. But yeah, they they played at Cubby Bear. They had their little tour bus, like, parked in that parking lot, right? By the Taco Bell. Where they used to sell t-shirts. Yeah, but but the Taco Bell now, yeah. And we fucked, by the McDonald's. And we we went in the tour bus with them. We were hanging out with them. Yeah. And doing whatever. And, uh... And yeah, those two nights are almost like fused in my memory as like the same night. What was weird is I had been on like a bender or something the day before the Ace show. And I got into the neighborhood because my buddy lived over there and needed some weed. And I had a double checkers burger. 
And it made me feel, I don't know if I'd been on a bender or whatever, but I, I had time to kill. Like three hours in the neighborhood until you showed up to meet me and we went to see Ace. So I just parked and then I started to feel really sick. Uh, anyway, I passed out in the car. But yeah, I remember feeling ill. And the funny thing is my former partner, Duff Rice, promoter, was the guy who promoted that show before I knew Duff. Yeah. And then I, you know, he found out I was a Kiss fan. And I told him I was at, you know, did, I asked him about that show. He's like, dude, I felt physically ill. The yeah. volume was so loud I had to leave the gig. And I was like, yeah, I I don't know what they were trying to do or if they were like, it's almost like the proof that they were mad. Like, I'm not mad, like angry, but insane. Like the, the combination of his crew, sound people, the band and the whole thing was yeah, literally I mean, I like, a rock and roll like, fucking like train wreck. This way. It, was right. a, it was a rock and roll train wreck, is that fair? Yeah, you know, totally, but I like to think about it this way, that they literally, it's almost like nobody knew that they were playing, they thought they were playing, I don't know, they're so out of their minds that either they'd convinced themselves or actually thought that they were playing a fucking No, arena. but No, but what I'm saying is it was standard procedure and it's partially because Ace is deaf. I just keep turning it up and turning it up and turning it up. It's not loud enough for him. Yeah. I, I remember when Wright's... Wright's... the fucking windows out of this place. So I knew the guys from Wright's and the Accused, and when they opened for them at the China Club, you know, their sound guy came back to, like, work at the, the board with Ace's guy. And he's like, hey, man, you got to turn it up. He goes, sorry, you know, Palio, whatever. He goes, there's only going to be one loud band tonight, and it's going to be Ace Fraley. You, were you at that when the like bottle fight ensued? It was that, one of the guys that writes the accused. I don't recall any of that. And Ace had the alley shirt on and the blue jacket. And there were, you yeah, know, what I like, I like when Ace was out of his mind because there'd be magic moments, as opposed to like, hey, I'm here, I'm sober, and let's like drag through this. I mean, when you look now at those performances from 92, 93, 94, 95, it is some festive fucking, it's heavy, man. They are like, just trying to, it's like, how did you get to that state of mind prior to walking on? Like, if I was with Ace, I'd be like, hey man, let's, you know, let's tone this, let's, let's deliver this tune, how it should be, you know, but it's like, no, no, no. We're going high octane. And, you know, it makes you wonder if, you know, they, Gene and Paul were getting reports from the road and they were like, it's now or never, you know? Yeah, that, that's a good point. Because right? you remember that night, I'm going to share this with our historian friends and maybe we'll call it here, buddy. Who knows if we'll ever post this, but I'm not sure, you know, what we would call it. But, well, it will have to be heavily edited. Yeah, no, it doesn't. I think it should just roll. You know, it's like, well, hey, I don't think anybody gives a fuck. Too far, like when we think of the Avalon, you know, we both have experiences. 
try, and I know Ace didn't have to do this himself <laughs> personally, thank God, but, you know, the Avalon, yeah. like, getting your gear into that place. But right, you know, but do you remember what, so here's my recollection. Almost like you could, almost, it was death-defying, so thank God he didn't have to carry any No, 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 but that, here's, here's what I understand, is that, they were partying, and they'd been partying, they'd been in town. Ace went, like lost everybody, and then climbed back onto the rider bus where their gear was. It was already been loaded on stage, and he passed out in there. And no one could find him. And they were, and that's when we were like, we want Ace, and then, then it turned into fuck you, Ace, and all this. And the story is like, they found him, and like he was almost frozen to death. And they brought him up, and it was hotter than fuck, and it was hotter than hell. And he got on stage, they did the first song, right? And Ace looked like bewildered. And everyone was like, we love you Ace, and all this stuff. But when he said what he said, which was, I know what he said, as I recall it was, I don't think I'm gonna fucking make it. <laughs> That's after Rip It Out. I don't think I'm gonna fucking make it. And at that point, it was like the Hindenburg. It was like, people were like, fuck you, Ace. And some people were like, we love you, man. We love you. We're with you, you know. And it's just like, I remember Janice. Yeah. It was a, what was, Janice was with us. And uh, what the hell she that? couldn't understand why I was so bummed out after the show. I'm like, you don't know what you just saw. You just saw the end. That was what I thought at the time. Like, and I, But I did buy the video that night, right? The Rock Soldiers video. And, right. And, and he was saying in it that he was sober and stuff, and it was just no way it was possible. No way in hell. And on the video, it's quite clear. Uh, but, dude, give that guy a couple cocktails and a couple bumps. Fucking rock and roll. Same with Peter Chris. I mean, whatever it takes, man. That, that, yeah, no, he's he's happening when it's fucking cooking, and that's that's what was going on. But yeah. That was that, a that room, by the way, that room, the Avalon room or that whole area, there was literally no airflow. I mean it was like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you went up in there. No, that was a COVID nightmare. There was no but there was nothing there was no air circulation. Right, and if you gave up there. your spot, right? If you were to go and mingle about and get a drink, you were never getting back up there. Do you remember though the opening act that night was Bodhisattva, and that they I, ripped I, I the fucking roof off? All right, Rich, this has been—I think this has been healthy. By the way, I was going to say, you know, where the only other place that Ace could have been that I would have thought made sense during that you was know, Berlin. Missing was Muskies, you know. Um, well, you know, the the place is now a tanning salon, but it used to be called Tuts. And Tuts was the first place Hendrix played in Chicago. Oh, that's nice. And well, one night that we... For it. And the story was... <laughs> what'd you say, buddy? Maybe Ace was looking for Tuts. I don't know, but um, there is a... I went to see... Shit. Oh, but hey... Oh, I know, I know the story. Izzy Stradlin and the Juju Hounds played there. And apparently... Axel like came by himself from Indiana to the show and like got like seen at Muskie's 
You know, and dude, the Muskies fucking cheddar fries on Cheddar Burger. I know. And the one on Lincoln across from the Elbow Room and the X Thurston's is gone. So they, you know, whatever they were doing no longer exists on Earth. That's too bad. I mean, by the way, no, but the other place Ace could have been, you know, instead of the rider truck, right? Was he could have been at the alley getting that blue jacket. Because he had the blue jacket, you know, the blue, uh, like, uh, punk jacket, and he had the alley shirt. So that, that day, Rich, I don't know if you were with me, I had gotten in the neighborhood earlier and I went over to yesterday's. This was before the Cubby Bear show, though. I went over to yesterday's, which, by the way, has just been taken down. That little yeah. yellow place west of Wrigley Field where you go in and get, like, old newspaper articles. And no, this I guy remember. was, like, this pack rat. And Ace used to go in there because he had, he, like, Green Hornet. And this guy had all kinds of like really. Remember that's where we got our um, Miss Breckenridge uh, Raquel Welch stickers for our Les Pauls. Oh, is that right? Those were the last I, two remaining on Earth. That I, we had. I still have one. You do? I do. You I fuck? Are you kidding me? No, I don't think it could actually stick on anything. But I still. Well, I want to stick it on something. What? What? I want it. Oh, I don't know if I'll. Well, well, I mean, I don't we can barter. At this point, we can I, barter, but just make sure you know where it is. Paul, many, many years ago, and it's still. I think I still have it. So I went in there and talked to the old guy, and he goes, "Yeah, Ace hasn't come by." And I was down the street, and he never showed up. And then they sound checked, and I went over and scored a bag of weed a few blocks east at my buddy Blair's house. And then, and then I passed out after having the checkers because I felt ill. Then I went and met you, and then I felt really ill in that show. And uh, yeah, no, it was a mind warp. Um, however, mm-hmm. it was a good show, right? Great show, <laughs> other than the, the, than the um, you know, the, the uh, you know, shell shock. I remember enjoying it, but you know, I mean, I can't remember. Well, like the Aragon, the Aragon wasn't like loud in a way that was punishing, right? No, not no, no, nothing. I don't know what it would. I don't know what. You know, I, I always kind of thought that the reason that the Cubby Bear was so bad because of the because of the glass. Yes, that was what I always kind of thought might be the issue, but I I don't know. I don't know enough about. Yeah, no, that was the loudest place I've ever been. I once saw Cyclone Temple at the Thirsty Whale, and that was louder than I could possibly fathom. Hey, buddy, let's call it a night. That, that's, uh, this is Kistorian Episode 6. If you had to give it a title, what would you call this? Um, Post-Bruce Rant? Oh, God. I'll have to think about that, but I would say... Um... Uh, historic voyage. Oh, odds and sods. <laughs> odds and sods, it is. Thank you, my friend. Okay, Have a good night, Rich. Good night, buddy. Rock and roll. See you, buddy. Bye.